May God give us wisdom as we read. And I must, uh, first of all, apologize for uh, the names. There's, there's a lot of names in this. But I believe names are very important to the Lord. I, you could just imagine if your name was supposed to be in there and someone says, I'm not going to read that, uh, you wouldn't be too happy, would you? So I'm going to try, try to read these words, these names. Now, it's Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. Now, Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai as its king and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than I and all its men were good fighters. So Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deba, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up position against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down to Beth Horon and Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O son, Stand still over Gibeon, <clears throat> O moon, over the valley of Ailon. So the sun stood still, 
and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemy as it is written in the book of Jashai. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like that before it or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. May the Lord give us an understanding of this word. I find this verse amazing. Verse 14, There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. And I bring to you the word of God this morning. <clears throat> and the title is The Day God Listened. And the subtitle, A Day Like Never Before. Whether we like it or not, we need to know that as a church, as people who are followers of Christ Jesus, we are engaged in battle. J.C. Ryle writes, There is another warfare of greater importance than any war that was ever waged by man. It is a warfare which concerns not two or three nations only, but every Christian man and woman born into this world. <clears throat> the warfare I speak of is the spiritual warfare. It is a fight which everyone who would be saved must fight about his soul. Why? He says, with a corrupt heart, a busy devil, and an, an, an ensnaring world, the Christian must either fight or be lost. We are engaged in the battle of the, the, the Apostle Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of, dark, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sadly, too many Christians are not even aware of this battle. Their commitment into the army of the Lord under the banner of Christ is half-hearted and powerless. Some even think that we should not be involved in the struggle. Involvement in any sort of struggle means extra time, extra praise, extra effort. It means moving out of the comfort zone into the battle arena. Some might even argue that in our day and age it is politically incorrect to even think of a battle because it might imply that we are the only ones who have it right and the others might be wrong. And so many Christians are dragged into lazy and sleepy land. They are of no use to either side. To the kingdom of God, they are a hindrance. Another problem, and I count myself into this, I count myself into this. And I ask that God would take me out of this 
laziness. Another great problem with many Christians today is the pietistic idea that the promised land, as we read about it in the Old Testament, is a land promised in heaven where we will go because we are saved and in the meantime we escape the world. They don't want to be a member of the army of Jesus Christ here on earth. To them to be saved is to be plucked out of this world because this world is only evil and we have nothing to do with it. Everything on earth is therefore of no significance. Of being part of the church militant to them is no consequence. They only want to be part of the church militant gathered around the throne of God singing his praises. And you know, we don't read anything of this in the Bible. There are two churches. The one gathered around the throne of God, which is referred to as the church victorious. Then there's another church. That's us. We are still on earth and it's referred to as the church militant, which means that we are engaged in a battle. For the Israelites under Joshua, this was not the case. Yes, there was, uh, for some of them, as we read in the Bible, the house not built with hands, of which Abraham and other faithful children of God were looking forward to. That is heaven. And all of us should be looking forward to the day of Christ's return. But we should do that with fervor and dedication. But perhaps the church has forgotten about the glorious significance and consequence of this. On the one magnificent, but on the other hand, the cataclysmic event of the return of Jesus Christ that will shake the whole earth and make a dramatic end to this dispensation we live in. But before that day, there is no escape for the church of Christ. We are engaged in a battle. And if we are not engaged in it, or or let's put it this way, if we're not aware of the fact that we are engaged in it, let us be sure of it that others are engaged against us in this battle. The promised land is not a pie in the sky when you die. It is not to be likened to some sort of dream time. The promised land is what you and I will inherit after we have seen the glory in this battle under the headship of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples and teach them and baptize them and teach them to obey everything. And I'm with you. Jesus sent us out into a world, in a hostile world. He said, they didn't like me. They didn't love me. and Don't think they'll love you. They crucified our Lord. We, we, we cannot expect to be loved. We, we are disciples. And if they didn't like the, the teacher, they don't like the disciples. Let's look at Joshua, the forerunner for Christ. We have, have we forgotten who the commander of our army is? It is Jesus. But we've got a forerunner in the Old Testament. Joshua, his name is interesting that Joshua actually is the, is the Hebrew for Jesus. 
It's the same name, same thing. Joshua and God's people were on their way to the promised land. He, he had already destroyed Jericho and Ai, and the Gibeonites lived somewhat northwest of where Joshua and the Israelites now camped at Gilgal, about due north of the present-day Jerusalem. And these people, they had heard about the victories of Joshua and the Israelites and decided that it would be better to join them to beat them. So they signed a treaty with Joshua to protect them as they themselves pledged obedience and submission to Joshua. Now further down the hill country, south of the present-day Jerusalem, there were these five city-states. And most probably... They depended on Gibeon because it says that, that Gibeon was, was, a, was a mighty city and they, the men were mighty fighters. And they realized that with Gibeon out of, this, out of this coalition, they are exposed. So they decided, well, we'll get together and as, as a mighty army, we'll, we'll march up against Gibeon and, and we'll punish him for pulling out. Gibeon then, and their man sent to Joshua, do not abandon your service. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Save us. Help us. Because all the Amorite kings of the hill country have joined forces against us. The word save in the text reminds us of the name of Joshua and therefore the name of our Savior. The plea was we are in need. We face destruction. We face defeat. We face death. Come help us. They were in the need of someone who could march out before them, protect them and secure the victory for them. And the answer was from God who sent them to Joshua. Joshua gathered all his men, but only after he had received the assurance from God, as we read about it in the verse 8, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So Joshua marched from where they, where they were at that stage in Gilgal, which was down in the Jordan Valley, and they had to do a march of about 30, 35 kilometers during the night up the hill country, which was very steep. And keep in mind, uh, the, the, the people of Israel were not necessarily good soldiers. But the Lord had given them all the courage they needed, and, and, they, and they marched up this hill country all the way up. You know, in the New Testament, we, we, we read about Jericho and how the man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It means he actually went down. It was, it was fairly steep. So it was in this the mountainous area that the people of, of Israel marched all night. And in the early hours of the morning, they surprised the gathered enemy. And victory was in Joshua's side, but it did not come about because of Joshua. Because God intervened for his people. And I see an amazing thing happening here. It is Joshua and the people. They are involved in it, but it says it's God's battle. And God won. God had the victory. You see what it means, brother and sister, is as... It's God's battle that you are and I are engaged in. 
he'll give us the victory. That's for sure. But it doesn't mean that you and I are not involved. You and I are involved in this battle. And now we hear the word confuse, as it says there in verse 10. And some translations, it uses the word, and the Lord routed the people. Uh, the confuse here is, is used in reference to God's way to secure delivery for his people and destruction for the, for, for the army of the enemy. They can, God confused the enemy. It's a typical word to describe God's favor for his people and punishment for the enemy. It is used in the Egyptian army trying to overcome the Israelites after they'd left Egypt. And now they were there gathered at the Red Sea. And, and, and they, they didn't know what, what to do and what happened. We read then in Exodus chapter 14, 24. During the last watch, of, last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. What it means is the enemy became their own self-enemy. Isn't that wonderful to believe in a God that can do that? And we also read about that in Exodus chapter 23, 27. The promise as God of God as he sent his people into the promised land. I send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. And there are many other places in the Bible referring to this confusion. You, you remember of that battle that happened there. The people were scared to death. And no one left the city. And the Assyrian and the Assyrians were gathered around the city. They besieged the city for how long? And God sent confusion amongst the enemy. And so one morning they got up and what did they find? There was not a soul. As a matter of fact, the people got into one another and they killed one another. And what was left went home. I don't know how it happens. But can we pray for the confusion of this world? And I see something of this happening on those who promote this idea of evolution all the time. You know, the evolutionists, they keep bumping into one another. One contradicts the other. And it's just funny to see how stupid the arguments can be sometimes. They are basically, at the moment, destroying themselves. Let's just keep on praying that God keeps on doing this. I move on. And Joshua had the boldness before God to ask the impossible. Son, stand still. We're doing God's business here. And it happened. It happened. God intervened for his people in a fantastic way. Not only did the, stand, the sun stand still, but it says there that God hurled down stones upon the enemy and more were killed because of that than were killed because of the sword of the men of Israel. And I'm going to be a bit bold here and suggest something. 
I've looked up the word stone as used in the context there. And I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible where that word, that particular word, is used for hailstones. It's used for stones. Something that you build a house with, that's a stone. Something you build an altar with, that's a stone. Now, were the translators of the Bible wrong? I, I don't think they were wrong, but I think we should keep them... Uh, open the possibility for what I think the Bible wants us to understand here. It is normal for anyone to would have thought, if you told a story to someone else, you said there was a huge storm that day, and what fell from the sky would be in the storm would be what? That's the only thing we know about. Hailstones. But within the context of even the sun standing still, can you imagine what happened there? The whole universe, the whole universe became obedient to God because he created it in the first instance. Is it impossible that God would hurl pieces of meteorite or whatever upon these people? Was it hailstones? Yeah, it might have been. But my faith... As I understand the scriptures, would also, also, also keep open that possibility that's to say that God opened the skies and he hurled down the impossible upon the people that day. Just further down the chapter, we read about another impossibility then of, you would say, impossibility. The sun stopped for about 12 hours. Think about it. Tell any, any purest scientist today that there was a day that the whole universe and all the planets and all the heavenly bodies stopped in their in their tracks for 12 years what do you think would the answer be I'd say stupid you can't believe that how on earth can anyone believe that well I believe it why because it says that in the Bible there were other things too which sounded sort of impossible like the night at the, Red, at, the, at the Red Sea. When God sent a, a huge wind to hold back the waters for the people to cross. That, that was impossible too. There was another time when they had to cross the Jordan. And it was in the time of the, 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 uh, the uh, rains, the rain season of, the, of, of, of Israel. What happened there? The, the, the river was in flood. It was not just like a little trickle there. The Bible says, no, it was at the time of the rain. What happened? And, and God caused the river to stop and dam up and the people walked through. Is that impossible? Yes, it is impossible for us. Is it impossible for God? No. Even more spectacular about this event is it happened because Joshua 
dare to ask God. A man, a mere man, just bowed before the God of the universe and says, God, hold back the sun for a while. God did. Can we believe it? Is it scientifically possible to prove it? What does it tell us about our march onto the promised land? To have victory upon victory because we have another Joshua, now Jesus Christ, our Savior, who declared that all power in heaven and on earth belongs to him. Christ is our Savior. It does not need to be scientifically proven before we can believe it. What happened at his birth? He was born of the Holy Spirit. No intervention of a man. Do you believe that? It's fairly impossible, isn't it? But if we don't believe this part about the birth of our Savior, what does the future hold for us? At his crucifixion, we read, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. What sort of darkness is this? Was it just a thick cloud that came over the land? Or is it that God can, God commanded the sun not to shine? And he cried out to his Lord. Not like, save me, like Joshua. He gave himself to be crucified. When he died, when he died, there was the temple curtain that was torn from top to bottom. And the earth shook. Another impossibility. Can I tell you what happened next? The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Is that impossible? Yeah, well, according to our definition, it's possible. But it happened. And they came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. His cry upon the cross to forgive, his life which made the temple sacrifice obsolete, his death and his resurrection from the dead, and all the other so-called impossibilities are to those who believe The key that unlocks the padlocks which hold the chains of sin. They know that what is impossible for man is possible for God. That is what faith puts in our hearts. And you know what? He's coming again. What will happen when he comes again? The sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. 
the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Do you believe that? We read in Revelation chapter 6, As I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. That's a good, that's a good uh, picture, isn't it? The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was, ref- was removed from its place. What a day. Why? What will happen then? Put a smile on your face. Listen to this. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich and the mighty, and, the, and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks and the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall, of us, fall on us and hide uh, us from the face of him who sits on the throne and the throne of wrath from the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Now, with this in mind, Paul then writes to the Ephesians with a prayer in his heart. And we don't have the time to go into all the detail. Maybe the Lord will give us next week that opportunity to do that. He says, I pray for you. I pray that you will have insight, that your eyes would be open, that you would have faith, that you would understand It says in verse 18 of the chapter we read, Ephesians chapter 1, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, what? That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches and glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for those who believe and this power is like the working of his uh, mighty strength which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only at the present age but also in the age to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over he over everything for the church for the church this is available all of this is available for the church and Paul prays, I, ha- I pray that your eyes will be opened, that your mind will be enlightened so that you can see this, that we are in a battle, but our battle is won. Don't give up. And that's my prayer, that the Lord will, will enlighten our minds and give us eyes to see that 
in this. God has been so good to us. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Son. And He's called us to Himself. And we, we are safe in Him. Our names are written in the book of life before the beginning of, the, of this earth. And, and that stands. And it doesn't matter in what battle you are engaged. Your name cannot be erased out of that book. You will never miss out on the inheritance that's there safe for you. If you die now, you, you die in the Lord, you go to heaven, it's safe. If you want to give your life to the Lord, your, 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 your inheritance is safe. You want to go out in the battlefield and you might get engaged in this battle and you might get hurt, your inheritance is safe. Don't worry about it. Now you go out now and you do nothing. Absolutely nothing. What do you think? Where do you stand? May the Lord give us grace to understand that the impossible for us is the possibility. It's just, oh, God lifts his finger in, does it? And he has given it in Jesus Christ for us. May the Lord enlighten our minds for this. May he give us grace. Let us pray. Our Lord and our Father, here we stand before you and we have seen the glory of our Lord. And we pray that uh, you will give us that grace and that insight and the wideness of, of comprehension so that we will understand that you are enthroned and what you have done, you've done for your church so that when we, when we go out into this world, that we will be mighty and strong, not because of ourselves, but as we bow and pray and follow the lead of our Jesus, our Lord Jesus, he goes ahead of us and he will secure the victory. And Lord, give us that faith. And give us that hope. Give us a smile on our face and make us people who will not stand back and not retreat when the enemy is, uh, is against us. For your sake. Amen.